Praise God. It sounds like something out of Star Trek. Welcome to 2023. It's the first day. That's pretty incredible. I am convinced and I'm very, very excited, really, that this year is an incredibly important year for the church. And in case you've been on a different planet somewhere, you may not have noticed that society worldwide around us is deteriorating in a very rapid pace. It's kind of bizarre sometimes. And that's why I believe this to be a very exciting time. How we as believers, how the church lives in the coming days is crucial. It's exciting and it has eternal consequences. The way we are to live is very important. And our living must be proactive and passionate for God's kingdom. Imperative in the time we live in. So what do I mean by proactive? This is important for us this morning. From the dictionary, it goes something like this. It's creating or controlling a situation and causing something to happen rather than responding to it after it has happened. And I believe strongly that that's where God wants us to be, being proactive. Now, I titled this Offense and Defense, but I, I want us really to think about being proactive as being on offense and not defense. Now, I, I get it, and, and I said the funny in the first service, so we'll see how you do in the second. Team sports, there must be a defense, and there's a part of me that really likes defense because when this little guy played football, I played defense because I like to hurt people. They laughed more for service. Sorry. <laughs> In team sports, I, I understand there must be a defense to stop the opposing team. You want to keep them from scoring. In this sense, defense is important, but that's not where I want to take us. I want us to think more spiritually about this. What I mean by being a Christian on defense would be this. So if, if, we're, if we're not on offense, we're on defense. So, so what does he mean, an, a Christian on defense? Being on defense is letting the opposition determine how the game is played and only reacting to the opposition's efforts. That's not, where we're, that's not who we are. Satan and sin, so you got Satan and your indwelling sin, that's the opposition. Those two entities should not determine how the game is played. We should not think that way because Christ has already triumphed over them. Christian offense, that's, that's where we need to be. It means purposely playing the game how God designed and determined the game to be played. How does God want this to work out? That's where we need to live. That's Christian offense. Believers on offense then proactively take it to the enemy. We don't wait for these, we don't wait for Satan to do something to us. We just go and, and be on offense. What you find if you look at Scripture is that God never, what He's revealed to us shows us He has never avoided problems that are caused by sin or by Satan. 
No matter what our sinfulness is, it doesn't surprise God. He doesn't go, oh my goodness, Zach, what did you do? He already knew. He does the same thing with Satan. Nothing surprises me. He takes the battle to the problem. That's who our God is. And God expects his people to do the same because, not because we've got any great power, but because we trust explicitly in his power, his ability. The Bible really presents some amazing stories of God's people on the offense. And even in, the, in, in saying that, I know that there's some of those stories where you can go, well, that doesn't sound like offense because they're actually, that's not right. I get that. But there's these amazing stories of men and women of God who choose to be on offense. Let me give you some examples. I just love this stuff. This stuff is so important because God never retreats. Get that deep inside you. God never, ever retreats. He has a plan. The plan's going to work out. He never retreats, and he expects the same from us. Think about Abraham. God said, leave your home and go to a place I will show you. And what did Abraham do? He left. That's being on offense. God promised a son. So on when Abraham's on offense, he follows God with a passionate faith. But in his life, you can see when he's on defense. Because when he's on defense, he takes matters into his own hand, and Ishmael is born, and there's problems all over. So going back to being on offense, in God's timing, the son is born. And God asks Abraham to sacrifice that son. And being on offense, Abraham says, I'm willing, let's go. And he takes his son and he's willing to slay his son. God interrupts that with, with an angel and by providing a ram. Abraham on offense. How about Joseph? Wow, sold by his brothers. And the life of Joseph is an amazing picture of being on offense. He continually presses forward knowing that God is with him. And he becomes the leader of Egypt, the functioning leader of Egypt, and he rescues and saves the entire nation of Israel at the time, which is just a family. That's Joseph on offense. Moses. Moses leads God's people through the Red Sea. That's amazing. And he leads them into the wilderness. They're wandering around in the wilderness. He meets with God on the mountain. He continues to lead them through this wilderness adventure. That's being on offense. Joshua and Caleb, another wonderful example. They were sent out with 10 other men to spy the, the promised land. They came back unafraid of the people in the land. They had a good report and wanted to go forward. They trusted God. They were on offense. The other 10 were on defense and said, oh, no, man, those guys are big. David. Even with the sinful problems in David's life, his story is all mixed together with, with all kinds of conflicts. David is Israel's greatest king. He's, he, he killed the giant. That's offense. He was in battle after battle. He, he danced before the ark as they bring it into Jerusalem. 
And if you really want to, you want to learn some things about being an offense, go to the Psalms. David wrote, and, and in his Psalms, these Psalms he wrote illustrate a man on offense over and over. Daniel. I love Daniel. Daniel was captured by the Babylonians. They took him back to, back to Babylon. They trained him. And, and after his training, he became a part of the king's service. He's, he's, he's well situated in the kingdom. But he will not play defense. How do I know that? He continued to pray three times a day. The result of praying three times a day, he's thrown in the lion's den. The lions don't eat him. He's on offense. Repeatedly, you see that in, in Daniel's life. There's many other Old Testament examples. How about some New Testament examples? Peter's a good one because the, the first place I go with Peter is he's on defense. He's on defense, so he's standing there and he denies Christ three times. But God does a work in his heart, and he's then on offense, and he takes the gospel powerfully to the Gentiles and to the world. Fantastic offense. The 12 disciples, the same thing. They go into the world, and they preach the gospel. They proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ, and all of them except John are martyred for the sake of the gospel of Christ. So martyrdom becomes a part of this being on offense. And then there's Paul. We're first introduced to Paul in the word as a persecutor of the church, a murderer. And, and then, then we see this conversion. He's, he's blinded on the road to Damascus, and, and he becomes this incredible, passionate apostle to the Gentiles and to the world. And he never, ever retreats. I press on, he says. He never retreats. What a man of God on offense. In Paul's writings, he speaks of this proactive life using sports and military metaphors. One of the, the most familiar passages about the, that, that uses the military metaphor is from Ephesians chapter 6. This is an incredible passage. Think in terms of warfare here and being proactive. 6.10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. By the way, resisting and standing firm, those are terms of being on offense. Stand firm there, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, take up the shield of faith which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. That's being on offense. 
There's other places that Paul uses either a military or a sports metaphor. He uses the Olympic races in Romans 9, 16, 1 Corinthians 9, 24, Galatians 2, 2, and Galatians 5, 7. He exhorts Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 12 with a, metal, a, a military metaphor. He says, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Then, then in Philippians, he uses the race metaphor again, 3.12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That is not, that is not a man in retreat. That is a man on offense. Philippians 2.25, Philemon 1.2, Paul describes Christians using military terminology, soldiers. This idea of being a soldier is important, being a warrior, soldiers. So I want us to look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, two verses, 18 and 19. And I, I really like how the NASB uses the language here. Verse 18, this command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Fascinating passage. Fight the good fight. That's verse 18. So, Let's look at that just a little bit because that's what we're talking about in being on offense. That fight, the good fight, that could be translated wage the good warfare. It's, it's all a military kind of terminology. Fight there is from the Greek verb strato, and it, it's where we get our word strategy. And it really, it, it means in the Greek to fight as a soldier. This is, this is the concept of actually being a soldier in battle. Okay? Then in that same sentence, good is from kalos, and the way it's used in, in that construction in that sentence, it means an excellent or noble warfare. So you're not just in some ordinary fight, you're in, a, you're in an excellent battle. And then the word warfare, strateta, it means military expedition or campaign. And this is important. Military expedition or campaign. What we are in and what God is calling us to is not, is not just a simple battle. It's not a short skirmish. It's not a brief conflict. It is a long-term, continual campaign. We will be in this battle until Jesus takes us home or he comes back for us. That's, that's the way it is. What Paul is preparing Timothy for and us for is to fight. It's a long-term, hard-fought military campaign. 
Paul's calling us to realize also that we are in a spiritual battle. And each one of us who are believers, we are to push forward and be on the move and always be on the offense. I, I like the words in Hebrews 12 too. Help us with this. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When we're on offense, we're looking forward. We're, we're looking at what Jesus has accomplished. He's the perfecter of our faith. This battle that we're in, the Christian life, is a never-ending struggle. If you're praying that God will remove you from all conflict, I'm sorry. It's not going to happen. A believer is to fight and face the enemy continually in this life. We're warriors. Now, we, we use these terms, and they're from the military and, and warfare, but this is not an earthly military campaign. This is a spiritual battle against Satan and sin. This is why we must take up the whole armor of God. It's a spiritual battle. The, the enemy is, is our sinfulness and, and Satan. And in this campaign, you know, we can think of it in terms of, man, you know, what if, what if they come around this end and what if, you know, that's not the point. The point is, we don't lose. There's no point of, of failing. There's, there's no retreat. Never, ever in the, in the face of persecution, disease, physical death, loneliness, conflicts of every kind, never do you see where God's people retreat or are asked to retreat. Never are we to choose to be on defense. Why? Because our God, our King, our commanding officer has won. So, as I was putting this together, I asked the question, why do some people live lives on defense? Why do some people choose to, to live lives that, that really are kind of in retreat? And I see two reasons. The first one is the fundamental flaw of indwelling sin. You're all sinners. I'm a sinner. Anyone here that wants to stand up and say, I don't sin, go ahead and you can finish the sermon. We're all sinners. That's one of the reasons. We're flawed. So we have to fight that. The second one is related to it, and that is oppression from Satan. Satan wants us to be in retreat. He wants us to retreat from the truth. He wants to disturb us so we don't have faith. And because of the lies of Satan in our sinful state, it produces something in us that takes us to a place or can take us to a place that we retreat. And that place is that we do not have a functional, grandiose, huge, massive, faithful, glorious, magnificent, and intensely powerful understanding of God. 
Is that where your understanding of God is? So, so if you're in retreat, if you're living your Christian life in retreat, if you're living your life not as a warrior on offense, it's because you guys are too little. We need to think of God as huge and big and mighty and superior to everything, and he has done this for us. Thinking of God improperly causes fear, fear of death, fear of sickness, fear of society, fear of politics, fear of poverty, fear of lies. All of those things are around us. We're not to fear those. God knows all of those. He knows all of those issues. He knows every, every one of you. He knows exactly when and how you're going to die. He knows exactly when you're going to get sick next and how you're going to get healed. He knows everything there is possible to, to know. So those issues, don't they're not a problem to him. He has an answer for them. So because he knows all these issues, he calls his people to be on the offensive knowing that he is their strength. And he calls his people to have no fear. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Believers that are on offense, warriors for the king, have no fear because God lives in us. No matter where you go, no matter what the circumstances, you have the indwelling spirit in you. God resides in you. He isn't off doing something else. He's with you. Do you trust him? God calls his people to have an incredible, passionate understanding of victory in Christ. You win. Why? Because of Jesus. God has already defeated Satan and death. He, he leaves Satan alone right now for a purpose. And part of that purpose is so that we do the stuff that we need to do so that he gets even more glory. In Colossians 2.15 we read, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. He has won. 1 John 4, 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. God is in you. You are greater than any of the lies that you're going to encounter in this life. Believers are bought by the infinite, precious, perfect blood of Jesus. And Jesus wins. Remember 1 Corinthians 6? 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit within you, <clears throat> whom you have from God. You are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. No matter where you go. The Spirit of God is right there with you. Have no fear. Believers, why would we fear anything? We belong to God. We have infinite value because the creator of the universe in his infinite nature died for us and paid the price for us. That's infinite. And there is nothing that can separate us from that. We are victorious. 
in Christ. He has redeemed us. He has caused us to be adopted into his family, joint heirs with Christ. That is astounding. And he also calls us his friend. Why would we go out into the world and be afraid of anything? So here's, here's five things that came to my mind about how believers live on the offensive. The first one is to fill our minds with God's truth. God's truth, the Word of God, the Bible. Get it in there. Get it stuck into your head. Fill your gray matter with the words of God's revelation. This is so important. The world around us has no truth. Have you noticed? They don't like the truth. They don't like the truth because the world's system is controlled by Satan who rebelled against the truth, hates the truth, and fights against anyone who promotes the truth. But we have the truth. And the truth says, don't be afraid. Scripture is truth. We fill our minds with God's truth. And it's powerful. Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joint and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Fill yourself with the word. Second, this comes from Philippians. It has to do with prayer. In Philippians 2, we're anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing, but in all things, through prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's an instruction to us. So, so prayer becomes an incredible, powerful part of being on offense. And when we're praying and we're praying right, what we're doing is we're agreeing with God. How do we agree with God on offense? He wins. God is big. God is mighty. God is powerful. There isn't a problem that God can't overcome. And we agree with his truth that's been revealed to us. On offense, we pray also without ceasing. Why don't we just, why don't we just go around praying all the time? Well, we can. Is that how you live? Pray without ceasing, ceasing, Paul says. Be on the offense. Don't stop. Third, to live a life being an offense, we fellowship with other believers. That's what we're doing this morning. Do you remember the imagery, the body imagery of 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12? It's a body. You are not out there trying to fight this battle all by yourself. God doesn't say, I want you to be in the battle, and then sets you out there and goes, whoa, don't anybody go over there. I hope he works out for him. Shoulder to shoulder, here we are, warriors of the, the living God, together fighting the battle. Fellowship. We're in this battle together. How do we do that? How do we actually work that out? Well, we do that by helping one another, encouraging one another. We serve one another we give financially to the church. We build one another up. We promote other believers. Is that how you live? 
Do you live to serve? Do you live to give? Do you live to build somebody up? When you get together with other believers, is that your, your goal? That's being on the offense. Fourth way we're on offense is to take the gospel to those that are held captive. You see, the enemy has got them captive. God left us here for a purpose. Take the truth to those who need to be saved. Take it to them. Tell people about the glorious things Jesus has done. Maybe you can be specific about things he's done in your life. Tell of the truth of what God has accomplished through the, through the cross. It isn't your responsibility to get them saved. Your responsibility is to tell them the glorious story about what Jesus Christ did on the cross. What he's done to you. Why, why are you a believer? I'm a believer because of what Jesus did on the cross. Take it to the enemy. This is so valuable and so important. And when we do that, we're always remembering the enemy cannot win. You may take the gospel to someone and they don't pray for salvation right then. The gospel goes out. It's God's power. That's, that part of it's his business. Let's just be on the offense. Take it to the wind. I like what Peter says in, in chapter 2, First uh, Peter 2, 9. You are a chosen race. So now he's talking about all of us. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's being on the offense. He has caused you to be those things, chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, his possession, so that you go proclaim his, his greatness, his glory, his awesomeness. Be on the offense. And the fifth one that I thought of was that we live every moment of every day, every moment of your life, for the rest of the time that God has given you. So, so you start today. This is day one. Live every moment of this day as though it was your last. You know that you're going to die today. So what would you do differently? You'll live for God's kingdom. You know that this is your last day, so you're going to live it for the kingdom of God. How do we do that? 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do all for the glory of God. So I heard a pastor preaching on this, and he got all excited, and, and he goes, that means, that means your orange juice in the morning and brushing your teeth. So how many of you stand in there wherever you brush your teeth, and you take that toothbrush, and you stick it in your mouth, and go, I'm glorifying God. <laughs> Seems kind of silly and funny. At the, but wait a minute. Do everything. Whatever you do, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Why? You're on offense. You want to glorify your father. You want to glorify Jesus. Do it in everything you put your hand to. Take it to the enemy because, because God fights for you. Do, you. do you remember Deuteronomy 20 verse 4? For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. It is so amazing. Look, think of those words. God is going to fight against our enemies. So we have the victory. Wait a minute. Our victory is in Christ. 
We're all winners. Being on offense, we do all things for the sake of the gospel. And not only that, but when we do whatever it is we're doing, we, using one of Paul's metaphors, we run to win. I don't fight this fight to lose. I don't fight this fight to be in retreat. I don't get into the race planning, you know, the gun's going to go off and I'm going to take off on that track and I'm going to see if I can come in last. Nobody does that. We're in this to win. We need to understand as we live out every day that our lives have eternal consequences. How we live actually, truly, really matters eternally. For believers, the life that we are in, this life is really a proving ground. It's a, it's a proving ground where we prove who we are. It's a place where we prove whose strength we trust. As you live at your life, life, are you proving that you trust your strength or God's strength? You on offense or defense? In this life, let's, brothers and sisters, warriors of God, let's prove that we trust God's strength and we fear nothing. There are some that I have read and been around that, that put a, make a formula for a Christian warrior's life. And they, they tell us what spiritual warfare needs to look like. But spiritual warfare is nothing more and nothing less than learning the life of obedience to the Word of God. So that you, you take the word of God and, and you wield it like a sword and you cut a swath through the kingdom of darkness. Every one of you is capable of doing that. Take the word, take the truth, take the, the testimony of your faith in Christ and go into the darkness and destroy the darkness, not because of your power, but because of what Jesus has done for you and because he lives in you. This is why Jesus said in Matthew 28, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. No matter where you go, you are a warrior for the king, and the king wins. The victorious life is inseparable from obedience. So what God wants from us this year, beginning today, is warriors fighting this war, relying on what Christ has accomplished and being obedient to the word of God. That's actually pretty simple. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's pretty simple. How do we fight this war? We're obedient to the word and we rely on what Christ has done. Brothers and sisters, fellow warriors of the king, go battle. Go take it to the enemy. Go battle warriors of the almighty God. Father, thank you for the work that you've done through Jesus. That we are not left here to wallow in our own stuff. But because of the work of Christ, we are victorious. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the victory that we have in you. Holy Spirit, empower us, teach us, direct us, and encourage us that the most important thing for us as we go through this life is to be on offense, to glorify our God, our King, our Savior. We praise you, Almighty God. Amen.